0: Dr. Vivian Lowe. Welcome to VLMD Rounds, a podcast on medical science and tools to optimize your health. We are going on with our series on atherosclerosis because I made this proposal that atherosclerosis is an autoimmune disease and my aim now is to look at it from different viewpoints to solidify and fortify my argument that it is an autoimmune disease. We've talked about different aspects about how oxidized and modified LDL can be neoantigens, the role of cholesterol, the real significance of the vasovasorum. And now I am going to approach my favorite cells, macrophages. Let's go. Okay, so I did a talk once called the Magical Mystery Macrophage Tour. And you can find that on youtube you might find it um you know entertaining and helpful Uh, it has slides and so forth and that's just a general introduction to the world of macrophages just to tell you how wonderful they are but there's some important information in there as well because i define tissue resident macrophages and bone marrow derived macrophages right So I look at different tissues and, you know, what macrophages do in them. And I also talk about macrophage polarization, differences in macrophage activation, uh, depending on time course of disease and also sex differences. So there's a load of information buried in that uh, presentation. And I encourage you to look it up just to get an idea of the wonderful world of macrophages. Now, as I said, there was only one small uh, little universe, part of the universe, uh, the macrophage universe. And there's so many other things about macrophages that I didn't get to in that presentation. Um, I am going to be talking about macrophage uh, activation and its role in atherosclerosis. And the main thing that I want to point out is that macrophages, besides their phagocytic ability, they are antigen-presenting cells. So they interact with the adaptive immune system by presenting antigen to T-cells, and that influences the course of disease, okay? The three main things I'm going to talk about today macrophages in atherosclerosis, their direct role. And then I'm going to introduce their T-cell friends and talk about the interaction between macrophages and T-cells. And then I'm going to talk about a very specific interaction between T-cells and macrophages. All right, so I mentioned polarization of macrophages and the general idea is that you have M1 or M2 macrophages, M1 being pro-inflammatory and M2 being anti-inflammatory macrophages. This doesn't actually occur in real life. It's just our way to conceive a net macrophage action within a tissue. So when we say that we see more M1 macrophages, it doesn't mean there's just one type of M1 macrophages. It's just that we see macrophages that express different receptors and signaling particles that are towards the pro-inflammatory response. And when we see M2 macrophages, they tend to bring about a net anti-inflammatory response. Now, the M2 macrophages they are more anti-inflammatory, but they are further nowadays divided into subsets. So we have M2A, M2B, M2C, M2D, and M4, M oxidized, M heme, and M hemoglobin. And I like mentioning them not because I want to overload you with those names, you don't have to remember them. But it's just to show you that even within this very simplistic view of m1 m2 to better you know explain what's going on in different disease processes we've had to subdivide the m2 population further so that we have m 2 c, d, and so forth right and these subdivisions actually kind of tell you the type of cytokines the type of signaling molecules that those subsets tend to produce so it's trying to capture the mixed features of the m2 macrophage population and their complexity all right just wanted to make sure that that's clear so we're not just thinking we have m1 and m2 macrophages not really now when we look at specimens from carotid endarterectomy so we've taken Uh, some samples from the carotid artery in patients uh, that have disease there, we find that, you know, different subsets of macrophages are seen in symptomatic versus asymptomatic patients. So if we see um, patients who are um, more symptomatic in terms of having stroke symptoms, then we see M1 types of macrophages and those plaques there in the carotid artery are unstable plaques by definition. Whereas with people who are asymptomatic, right, they actually have M2 um, and you also see M2 in the symptomatic patients. So it's a mixed feature there. With the M1s, you see them primarily in the symptomatic patients. So there's this general idea that maybe when we're looking at plaque and plaque stability, we should be looking at M1 to M2 ratios. And this is only possible, obviously, if you do biopsies, because otherwise you're not going to be able to determine the subpopulations within the tissue, right? Now, in human plaques in general, there are differences in where the plaques are and the types of uh, M or macrophage uh, phenotypes that are expressed. So we see the M1 macrophages uh, really in the shoulder regions of the plaque. This would be really around the circumference of the fibrous cap, of the plaque and that's where the fibrous cap is thinnest and most vulnerable to rupture and that's where we primarily are going to find the m1 macrophages whereas m2 macrophages are more seen in the adventitia so if you remember from the previous episodes that I did on the vasorum, the outer layer or outer zone of your vessel wall is the tunica adventitia where a lot of immune cells hang out and we find the M2 macrophages there. And furthermore, we have these macrophages that are producing a lot of uh, metalloproteinases. These are enzymes that will digest tissue and make the plaque very vulnerable to rupture right so those m1 macrophages at the shoulder of the plaque are predisposing the plaque to rupture now when we are thinking about where the macrophages come from. The general narrative is that these macrophages are derived from monocytes. And these monocytes are bone marrow-derived stem cells. So they come in the blood. And if they detect an area of uh, glycocalyx uh, degradation and endothelial dysfunction where the tight junctions between endothelial cells are compromised they can sneak in and get into the intimal layer and there that's when they encounter oxidized ldl as a pamp you know a pathogen associated molecular pattern or damp danger associated molecular pattern and they engage their toll like receptors and they activate an immune response. Now, we also heard in previous episodes that they can come in through the back door, through the adventitial layer, via the vasa vasorum as well. So it's not just the front uh, door, it's also the back door, and the front door also has vasa vasorum there, as I already mentioned again in previous episodes, right? So that's a general narrative is that they're monocytes from bone marrow derived stem cells. However, we can also have these macrophages come from transdifferentiation of the smooth muscle cells in the tunica media. Remember, that is the immune privilege site in the vessel wall I talked about in the last episode. So you know, that n- normally and naturally should not have immune cells in there. But those uh, vascular smooth muscle cells within that layer, when the layer is compromised and there's immune invasion there, they can transdifferentiate differentiate into um, these macrophages as well. Now, th- it's um, thought that these macrophages are going to attract more monocytes because they secrete these chemokines and signaling molecules, and they bring in more monocytes from the bloodstream that will then differentiate into the macrophages, right? But even when we have models of monocyte deficiency, we are able to see macrophage accumulation. So this means they can self-proliferate without um, the monocytes coming from the bloodstream. They can self-proliferate within the plaque, and this is, again, likely from the tunica media. In mice models, when we looked at uh, genetic lineage tracing experiments, we see that 40% of plaque macrophages are from the transdifferentiation of vascular smooth muscle cells. 40% of those macrophages are coming from smooth muscle cells that have now done phenotypic switching and changed into macrophages. And we find that there have been in vitro experiments that have shown that with lipid accumulation, those smooth muscle cells, they lose their smooth muscle markers and they start to accumulate macrophage markers. They eventually become macrophages. And also the resident uh, macrophages in the adventitia can contribute to plaque Uh, progression. Generally, when we think of the resident macrophages, we think of them as having more of an M2 profile. So they tend to be more involved in wound healing, regeneration, repair of tissue. But at the same time, because they're doing that and they have tissue remodeling through the metalloproteinases, digesting that tissue in the process of wound repair, they could also be contributing to plaque progression and eventually plaque rupture. Now, uh, Cochain et al., they used RNA sequencing, and they identified three main macrophage subsets in atherosclerotic lesions. Uh, one was a tissue resident subset, right? Just like I told you, likely from the adventitial tissue. And then we had two Atherosclerotic associated subsets. Most significantly, all these subsets were found to be highly enriched in genes that were associated with the NLRP3 inflammasome. This is a big protein complex that activates um, inflammation, activates um, cytokine production, active cytokine production, and also can cause cell death, right? And I talked about the NLRP3 inflammasome in previous episodes as well. So we have in these macrophage subsets genes that are highly enriched for NLRP3 inflammasome activation. So it's a way to activate inflammation. Toll-like receptor 2. Remember I talked to you about how toll-like receptor 2 very good at recognizing lipoproteins, right? So we find Increase activation of those genes and also different pro-inflammatory chemokines to attract more immune cells to the area. And just to remind you that the macrophage population is going to be different in the different time course of the disease so early stage atherosclerotic lesions you may see one type of expression of macrophage subsets and then it may be different when we look at late stage disease and we see also with rna sequencing i mentioned this in a previous episode what's interesting is that uh, the lipid loaded macrophages in the plaque what we call the foam cells they actually express few inflammatory genes and not very inflammatory and tend to have more an m2 profile and um, they actually express more lipid processing genes naturally because they're full chock full of lipids whereas the non-foamy macrophages in the intima tend to express interleukin 1 beta and other very pro-inflammatory signals okay so we always assumed that oh you have the most inflammatory macrophages uh within the lipid core the necrotic core but actually we see more m2 and that kind of makes sense that tends to be the remodeling type of macrophages the type that is trying to bring about wound repair and regeneration of tissues okay all right so we're gonna leave the macrophages for a little bit and just talk about t-cells very briefly There are many, many T-cell subsets that are associated with uh, atherosclerosis. And in fact, I know we always talk about macrophages with atherosclerosis, but we should also recognize that you don't see T-cells, you're not going to have atherosclerotic plaques, okay? People forget that. So those different T cell subsets, the ratio of the different subsets of T cells, that's going to be very, very important. And more importantly, let's focus on the crosstalk between macrophages and the T cells. And in general, it turns out that these M1 macrophages, they actually stimulate naive T cells to produce Th1 cytokines, right? And this would be stuff like interferon gamma that would then actually kind of form more the CD8 cytotoxic uh, T-cells and also promote more M1 uh, macrophage action. So it's kind of like a feedback, positive feedback loop for those M1 macrophages. They're stimulating naive T-cells To produce th1 cytokines like interferon gamma which then promote more m1 activation as well whereas the m2 macrophages are going to promote th2 cytokines in those naive t cells and these would be things like interleukin 4 and also tgf beta And also, this will cause B-cell proliferation and more of the M2 expression as well. Again, another positive feedback loop. So you can see that these macrophages, at the same time, depending on their polarization, they're going to be stimulating different subsets of cytokines that will reinforce their activation, the macrophage activation, but also bring about specific T-cell types of reactions. Macrophages are really a major source of TNF-alpha, tumor necrosis factor alpha, right? And this is going to also help in the recruitment of more macrophages and T-cells on site to the tissue where they are, okay? Now, when we look at mature plaques, we see activated T-cells within the plaque. I told you, you see the macrophages, but nobody mentions that you see all these activated Uh, T-cells, all subsets have been seen within the plaque. And these T-cells recognize epitopes uh, of oxidized LDL, all right? These are antigen, specific antigen binding sites to these oxidized LDLs. There was an in vitro study that was done by Newton and Benedict, And what they wanted to do was look at how LDL and HDL exposure affected naive T-cell differentiation. So with oxidized LDL, what they found was that naive T-cells became a Th1 subtype and there was less Th2, reduced Th2 seen there with oxidized LDL. So we, again, are promoting Th1 cytokine signaling. Whereas with HDL, we inhibited naive T-cell proliferation and we had less T-cell effect there. And with less T-cell effect, generally we see less progression of atherosclerosis. So again, that T-cell expression as influenced by the uh, macrophage Uh, activation there is going to affect the disease progression. And we see that with plaque expansion, plaque growth, the T-cells are responding to the oxidized LDLs, right? And when you have a lot of oxidized LDLs, you see a lot more T-cell activation and much more plaque instability. And at the same time, don't forget that uh, the macrophages are also ingesting the oxidized LDLs, right? They're recognizing the LDLs through the toll-like receptor too, and they also phagocytose that. So we're seeing a lot of this action in response to the oxidized or modified LDL. Okay, now, um, little sidestep here, and I'll connect it a little bit later. I have a special interest in vasculitis, in in autoimmune disease in general, but vasculitis, which is basically inflammation of vessel walls, blood vessels, right? And I would often get colleagues refer their tough cases to me in, you know, when they're uh, at the point where they don't know what to do with their patients, and I, I, I like getting those cases. They force me to use my brain and to think a lot, and I'm challenged a bit more with that. But you know, vasculitis is is an inflammatory as I said, an inflammatory disease of the blood vessel wall, not associated with atherosclerotic plaque. And that's one of the reasons I've been fascinated by it, because we think of inflammation in atherosclerosis and you know, coronary artery disease. And so one parallel that I like to look at is looking at inflammation in blood vessel walls, not associated with the Uh, atherosclerotic plaque and just to see what common features there may be now as I said these autoimmune vasculitis cases are kind of rare and it's like you know the incidence is maybe 20 cases per million people right so per year incidence so you don't see these cases very often I see them more often just because I think I get the referrals but, um, there was a week where I was uh, referred to patients, okay, both with vasculitis, EPGA and GPA don't have to know the names, and that was just kind of fascinating for me and generally, when I get these complex cases, I like to just kind of review the most current information on. Uh, those diseases because I like to think about it in the most current context and understand the most current signs before I actually do my consult. So since I was referred these two patients, I decided, okay, let me just take a look at, you know, review this, the, uh, the vasculitis uh, cases. And as I was looking at a text on vasculitis, I was looking at a picture of uh, the you know, pathology, they're showing the cells in the vessel wall and so forth. And I found myself staring at this picture for a long time because there was something about that picture that just kind of jogged my memory. And I thought, you know, those cells, and these are giant cells. These are multi-nucleated cells called giant cells. And I said, you know, there's something strangely familiar about these cells. And I stared at them for a little bit more. And all of a sudden I said, oh my God, these are foam cells without the foam, right? Because giant cells are actually macrophages that have fused together. And they are seen in many of these vasculitis cases and many autoimmune diseases associated with blood vessel walls, okay? And so we see these giant cell formations. And uh, I thought, oh my god, we see this in atherosclerosis as well, just that we have the lipids involved. And so we see the foam cells, but in the standard vasculitis cases, those granulomas are just giant cells without the foam cells, right? And that was when I started thinking deeply about what was going on and how, you know, we could relate this uh, to the autoimmune aspects of atherosclerosis. So let me just say that When you have chronic macrophage and T-cell interaction, that is abnormal. It's not normal to have chronic interaction between macrophages and T-cells because generally you have an infection, right? And you have phagocytosis by the macrophages and they present antigen and stimulate T-cells and so forth. But once we clear the infection, we're all done, okay? But if you have ongoing chronic interaction between macrophages and T-cells, That's not normal, and what happens is it leads to the formation of organized lymphoid structures. Does this ring a bell? Remember when I talked about the vasovasorum, I talked about the formation of lymphoid follicles called ATLOs, aortic tertiary lymphoid organs, in the adventitia right? And here we are talking about something very similar. So these are organized lymphoid structures that we call granulomas, just has a different name. Now, generally granulomas are formed uh, when we have infection where the immune system realizes, uh, I'm not winning this battle, I'm not able to effectively kill off the pathogen. So the next best thing I can do is restrict them in some way and, you know, get them out of the way. And this is kind of like, I'll give you an analogy. I hate paperwork and sometimes, well, a lot of the times, right, it gets away from me and I just have piles and piles of paper around me and, you know, it's a little bit messy. Okay. But then there might be an occasion where someone is visiting me, I'm having a meeting, I don't want them to see the piles and piles of paper. So guess what I do? I just stick it in a box, in a bag somewhere, I just kind of put it in a container, close it, and contain it that way, and we don't see it, we don't think about it, and at least in that moment, we're not affected by it, right? And that's really what your body is trying to do during a granuloma formation. So we're, t- we're not able to kill off the microorganism, so we'll just contain it in some way so that it doesn't do damage, all right? So the classic case of granuloma formation is in TB with micro micro mycobacterium tuberculosis. Okay. So with TB, we form granulomas. And that's because it's very difficult to kill the TB organism. So your body decides, well, we'll just contain it We'll box it up in a granuloma and be done with it. At least it's not spreading damage within the body. Now, we can have non-infectious granuloma formations as well. And we see this, as I mentioned, in the case of these inflammatory uh, vascular diseases, right? The vasculitis. So when we look at a granuloma, what we see is a core of activated macrophages. And then you have a shell or a cuff of t-cells around that so when you again have a hard time getting rid of persistent antigen it's just always hanging around then the way your body is going to deal with it is to form a granuloma and chemokines interleukins and complement products all of these attract immune cells to the granuloma site and to form a granuloma. And in fact, in vitro, when we've done experiments and cultured the monocytes with interferon gamma, we find that we get the multinucleated cells, giant cells form, right? And this shows that Th1 uh, is really involved in granuloma formation or giant cell formation because another name for granuloma is giant cells, right? Because you take these monocytes and you put them in a bath of interferon gamma, which is usually produced by Th1, right? And now these monocytes are going to clump together, fuse together, form that giant cell. So it's really the result of the cytokines produced by T cells, Th1 cells, right? That are stimulating the granuloma formation. Uh, we have also in sarcoid uh, granulomas, we see increase in interleukin seventeen cells. So there's uh, a role for TH seventeen as well to form granulomas. Okay, and generally we're going to see that. In granuloma formation and also in atherosclerosis, we're going to see activation and upregulation of Th1, Th17 uh, cells and actually downregulation of those peacekeeping Treg cells because interferon gamma also tends to inhibit those Tregs as well with time those granulomas can become necrotic and fibrotic and really depends on the disease state also with the granulomas there is a deficiency in aphrocytosis and this is basically removal of debris from the tissue site so cells die and they have all kinds of structures that are degraded and destroyed and uh, in the inflammatory process as well, we have destruction of tissue from reactive oxygen species from those metalloproteinases, right? And to get rid of that, we have this process called efferocytosis. Now, we see that with granuloma formation, we have a deficiency. It doesn't work very well, the efferocytosis, right? And... This also, this granuloma formation tends to be seen in the adventitial tissue, at least in giant cell arteritis, which is a form of vasculitis, uh, the large vessel um, vasculitis. And so we see that, uh, you know, we have a localization of the granulomas right in the site where we often see atherosclerotic plaques. Okay. Okay. The other thing I want to say is that when we look at giant cell arthritis as a model for large vessel vasculitis, right, we have that inflammatory environment that I talked about with the Th1, Th17 upregulation of cells. And what we're going to do is we're going to destroy the tissue between the adventitia and the media of the vessel wall and so now that immune privileged site the tunica media is exposed to these immune cells normally it wouldn't have these immune cells and that exposure is going to cause the vascular smooth muscle cells and myofibroblasts to expand right and then they're going to actually transdifferentiate into macrophages as well. So we have the invasion of immune cells, but we also have the transdifferentiation of vascular smooth muscle cells into immune cells. And now we have an immune reaction in the media of the vessel wall, where normally you would not have any of these immune cells right these m1 macrophages are going to bring about again more pro inflammatory cytokines but the m2s also bring about uh, vegf so you know growth factors for angiogenesis and platelet derived growth factors so we're going to have increased proliferation of blood vessels right proliferation of the vasovasorum as well and intimal hyperplasia. And that's really now when we start to see the development of the atherosclerotic plaque. So I hope you see why I am so interested in macrophages in the development of atherosclerosis, their interaction with T cells, their cousins, the T cells, and also comparing uh, atherosclerosis to autoimmune Blood vessel wall inflammation, right? The vasculitis um, diseases that we see. Because we can learn a lot from vasculitis and uh, see how there's a lot of relation to what we see in the atherosclerotic disease progression process. Okay, I hope you got a lot from this episode. I mean, I just love talking about macrophages, and I could go on for ages, but I promise I won't. I'm trying to keep this. within like 30 maybe 40 minutes right Uh, but if you have further questions do find time to join me in my live stream I love answering your questions and engaging with all of you having discussions with you um, to learn more about the atherosclerotic process and you see i'm really kind of sticking to this series because i want to just hammer in Uh, the idea that atherosclerosis is an autoimmune process. We often have people propose different uh, theories about how atherosclerosis happens, but generally there are big holes, right? They, They have a theory and then, oh, it doesn't fit this. We don't know how this fits in. And we don't know what role this other thing has in my theory. Well, if you have a theory that should stand on its own feet, then all the different parts should fit and my whole point of doing this series is to show you how all the different parts do fit they do fit very well we've had the evidence in front of our eyes all this time we just haven't looked at it with the right mindset right that when we see the plaque you know when we see granuloma when we see the foam cells we're looking at granuloma we're looking at a lymphoid organ that that is now organized in the vessel wall. We just didn't recognize it. Just like when I stared at those giant cells, it took me a while to realize these are foam cells without the foam, okay? So I have a few more things I want to say to kind of just add to the picture of atherosclerosis as an autoimmune disease. And hopefully by the end of the series, you'll see the whole picture, the full picture, and start to truly understand that disease process. Okay, the other thing I want to tell you is that um, some of you have heard me talk about my online platform, and this is to help people who want to improve their metabolic health. Uh, They can work with me through this online platform. Tulaversity.com, T-U-L-A-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com, is where you can read more about it and also uh, find out how you can sign up to work with me. But in addition to that, uh, I'm just very excited to tell people. I've been asked by a lot of people about you know teaching and um, helping people learn uh, about metabolic disease. So we have a, a health coach program that is starting up and we have quite a few people lined up already on the waiting list if you'd like to be trained uh, by me to be a health coach um, and to really learn the solid science uh, uh, about metabolic health then you can also sign up and be on the wait list because we're going to start that uh, coaching program that health coach program this fall. If you are a metabolic health practitioner and you just really want to understand metabolic uh, health, metabolic disease at its root, and not just the superficial stuff, you really want to understand disease process, biochemical pathways, you want to understand the molecular pathways, I don't care that you may not have any experience or any knowledge base in that my joy is in teaching and helping people understand that. But my key focus is to make sure that we have metabolic health practitioners that go beyond the surface and really dive down if you really want to treat your patients on metabolic health and help them get better. You have to understand true root cause of disease. You have to understand the processes. You have to go more than skin deep, right? We have to go beyond the superficial. So we have a a program as well uh, where I teach about metabolic health and, you know, get people to the point where they understand disease processes and can, you know, be effective in treating their patients. So find out more about these courses on tuliversity.com. If you want to check out my live stream events, it's on VivianLowMD.com, V Y V Y A N E L O H M D.com. I'll put those links in the description. But right now, I'm going to sign out because I'm done. And I'll still have a few more to add to my series on atherosclerosis before I close out the series, right? So I look forward to doing the next few episodes for you. Signing out now from VLMD rounds, I'm Dr. Vivian Low. And. I sing the body electric. Bye.